0: Hello, I'm Alex, and this is the Northern Guides to Happiness. Welcome to episode 27. As always, I'm here in our virtual studio with Chris, Andrea, and Michelle. Hello, everyone. Hello. 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 Hello,
1: Andrea. It's been a little while. It's lovely to have you back. Yes. How are you doing? Lovely to see you all. I'm I'm good. I'm good.
2: Where have you been?
1: Where have you I been? missed you? <laughs> In the undergrowth, in the undergrowth. <laughs> <laughs> but it's lovely to be back. How are you all?
2: Tickety-boo, mm. I think. Tickety-boo.
1: <laughs> Tickety-boo? Tickety-boo, <laughs>
2: yes. We've also got Michelle as well, which is great.
0: We have. It's great to have Michelle back as well, a previous interviewee. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Hello, everybody. I feel we've used all our banter up in the pre-recording stuff. It was great.
2: Some... <laughs> it was class. Everyone <laughs> just have to kind of...
0: Gold.
1: Stage fright now that the mic's on. I went to a gig that happened, I know. Real live music. Who and when and how? With people. I went to see Joel Culpepper at the Clooney 2 in Newcastle. Mm. In the Fabulous Oosburn. Fabulous Oosburn. And he had a great falsetto. What sort of music? Um, You can see he's deeply inspired by Prince, Mm. as well as many others, but particularly Prince. Very funky, very soul form, very high, which we (laughs) all tried to, we all joined in with. But failed miserably. Failed miserably. I mean, how do you know, how do you learn and how do you know you can sing like that? I think I'm amazed by it. Shower time. I was going to say, it's usually
2: people experimenting in the shower or the car or something.
1: yeah
0: car's my go-to place i have to say Mm. yeah (laughs) what about you michelle
3: well i've actually not been up to very much i had major surgery a couple of weeks ago oh bless you! so i had to obviously isolate ahead of that Mm. and then i'm obviously in recovery at the moment and
0: doing as i'm told which is quite (laughs) difficult (laughs) which is not not to appear on a podcast recording yeah (laughs) i am listening
3: to my body you know and i am doing everything i'm being told so it it is fine for me
0: to be on this podcast (laughs) i would i would argue that being on a happiness podcast is is good tonic it's good for your well-being yes definitely that's what i would argue Chris, how
2: about you? Oh, I'm great. Uh, I had a really nice weekend. I um, went to the cinema. Like Andrea, I've been out, out, out. <gasps> yeah, but went to Hexham to the the forums. Is it the Forum Cinema? Yeah, the Forum Cinema in Hexham, which is the first time I've been there. It was great. We went to see Dune with a friend, which oh, was ooh. a very interesting film. More more bagpipes than I was expecting.
0: Okay. For a Marty science fiction, he didn't mention the bagpipes. Interesting. He
2: will remember the bagpipes. You ask him about the bagpipes. Okay.
0: Well, on that note, shall we introduce this week's guest interview? Yes. This week, we have someone who is probably fairly familiar with a few of our listeners, Alfie Joey, who is probably best known for presenting on BBC Radio Newcastle. He's also known for stand-up comedy and more recently for his artwork, which he's rediscovered again and has found that it helps him with his mental health and well-being. Lots of fascinating moments in this interview, so enough of me talking, here's Alfie. Alfie, a very warm welcome to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you feeling? Over
4: the moon to do this, Alex. Although this, this is my worst time of day. As we speak, it's in oh, no. early early <laughs> afternoon. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to do my best. But this is my slump, feel like I'm in a coma time. Because I've been up since three o'clock. Because I do an early morning radio show. And and I'm wide awake for that. And then I get home and I'm a little bit wide awake. And then early afternoon, I'm... oh. And then uh, I go and get my daughter. And then sometimes do evening stuff as well.
0: Oh my God! We, we, we can do this. We can do, we can this, do it Alfie. together. <laughs> I mean, I've I've had two kids. I'm I'm I've You're done there. the whole being up late at night, <laughs> and I never knew how much I missed my sleep until it was taken away from me. <laughs> yes. So, I, how do you do it? How do you get up that early in the morning every day and and sound well. so cheerful on the radio? <laughs>
4: I, I've always been, I said to someone yesterday, a pal of mine was staying and he said, uh, you've always been a morning person and I said yes and afternoon and evening, oh I'm a nightmare to be with. So I, I going further back, I tr- I was in a monastery and I, I'd trained to be a priest and then spent a lot of time in religious life. Well they always get up about five or six o'clock so that was very normal for me. So I've always been much happier very early in the morning than the the late night comedy nights I used to do
0: I'm I'm not sure what kind of a uh, person I am whether I'm morning afternoon or <laughs> evening I think I just wake up and see what happens Good. and hope for the best probably the best way to be I feel like there could be quite a lot to cover in this interview and you're so well known around the northeast I don't think you need to introduce yourself but before we go any further could you just perhaps introduce yourself and you know just how would you how yeah. would you describe yourself. Well, I always presume
4: nobody knows who I am. Every time I open the mic on the radio, I reintroduce myself and I always invite new listeners because we might have truck drivers who were driving through the region. We might have um, people... The other day, there were two people texted in from Holy Island who were just on holiday and I said, welcome to the show, who are you? We got them on straight away and uh, they didn't know who I was. So I'm Alfie Joey. I do a local radio show on BBC Newcastle, which I've done for about... 12 years. Um, and before that I was a a comedian. Before that I mentioned I was in a, in a monastery and trained to be a priest. And, um, yeah, so it's a quite a tapestry of different experiences, but they've all led to where I am now, which is Gateshead.
0: (laughs) So dare I ask, how did you go from being in a monastery to comedy? How did that happen?
4: Well, it, it might surprise you, but it's not, um a a lot of people thought oh you must have left the religious life because you had some kind of crisis of faith or you you met the love of your life or but i honestly i met comedy and and i fell in love with comedy and i was still uh I was a, a brother in a religious order. I'd already trained to be a priest years before that and left to join a, a religious order where you take vows of celibacy, obedience and poverty. And um, and I decided, I, I, the the order asked me what I wanted to do and I said, oh, I'd love to teach in one of our schools. So they sent me to London and I loved this drama degree that I was doing so I was going to be a drama teacher. And then all of a sudden, i realized there was a module on in stand-up comedy and that was it it, it changed so much the the feeling of, of doing stand-up of um just the the buzz the electricity around it was just extraordinary i loved it and then th- there was a significant moment which um, I haven't mentioned an awful lot. You, you must have heard of Morecambe and Wise, the very famous yeah, double act yeah, yeah. from the 1970s. If you're listening from abroad, look them up. Uh, they were very famous. In the 1970s, they would regularly get 20, 30 million viewers at Christmas. Their Christmas special was watched by every home in, in the UK. And they were great double act, but every word that was written for them, that they did as a sketch or a play or a, a silly scene was written by one person Eddie Braben was this scouse brilliant writer brilliant comedy writer and I ended up being best man for his nephew and Stu said to me hey yeah uh, you know Uncle Eddie's going to be there and I said what Eddie Braben and he went yeah he said now just to let you know he doesn't laugh at anything. And I said, he doesn't, He's he went, oh no, he's seen so much comedy. He's dead straight faced. He's, he's not a laugher. Don't let that put oh, you off. Well, I thought <laughs> I am, it was no longer the speech for Stuart and Jane's wedding. <laughs> I was doing one speech for one person in that room and it was Eddie Braben. And I threw every bell and whistle at it. I had hats, wigs, I did impressions. I had backing tracks. I did best man's speech, the musical and um, all to make Eddie Braben laugh, and he did, and he led a standing ovation, and he came over to me, and he said, um, what do you do, mate, you're a scouser, and I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a monk, <laughs> and uh, he <laughs> said, "What uh, yes, you do, and he said, uh, forget that show business, and I'd never mm-hmm. thought it possible, I never thought that that was a viable career, it, it didn't happen to kids from pit villages, it was more plausible to train to be a priest than it was to be in show business. And, um, and that was it that the seed was planted. And I thought if mm-hmm. Eddie Braben says I can be in show business, I can be in show business. And then I really took the comedy thing more seriously than most other people in my Alan Carr was on the same course. Um Angelo Hepatimu, we all were buddies in the same year. So it was, you know, there was some guys who did go on to have really successful comedy careers. And um, and that was it. I got the bug and immediately tried to become a, a comedian. And it took a couple of years just of non-stop awful jobs during the day. I was yeah. I was a bicycle courier in London. I was a sandwich delivery person. I did a, a multitude of jobs. And then eventually, when it was impossible to juggle everything, I became a full-time
0: stand-up can you remember that moment when that standing ovation occurred can you remember how that felt for you because you, you you achieve what you set out to achieve
4: yes um i remember uh, it was a bit of a blizzard the the this the, the, the standing ovation at the wedding that but then i what i saw a video of it and also eddie braven took some photographs of me that were quite there were a, Amazing moments in the speech. He captured some bits, so it, it sort of brought it back to me. I'll never forget mm. the the first stand up gig I did in a stand up comedy club, where I was. I, every every one of us who were doing comedy on this course woke up nervous on the day. There's no more scary feeling in the world of performance than doing stand up because everything else is measured by applause or cheers. With comedy, Mm. it's only measured by laughter. So you could do Shakespeare, you could do poetry, you could do striptease. It's all about the applause at the end. But in in stand-up comedy, it's all about the laughter during. If you don't get the laughter during, that hasn't worked. So it's a very nerve-wracking thing. And also, some nights, your best joke doesn't work. And sometimes a joke you don't think's that good, gets a bigger laugh and sometimes nothing works and that's that's why comedy is a bit scary for a performer so I was I can remember being nervous and then that feeling of my jokes jokes I'd written working I was I had an ecstasy that I I can't remember feeling before since nothing to match it totally and I can remember all, all of my um pals who'd done the same gig oh we're all going to go out and celebrate and go to a house party and and i remember crystal clear i said i'm just going home i want to feel this and i used to drink at the time and stuff and i thought nah i i want to remember what this feels like there's an old story about bob paisley the old liverpool manager and they won the the european cup in the mid to late 70s and everyone's drinking champagne and they handed him the champagne and they went have a drink Bob you've managed us to the the European Cup final an English team you know hasn't done this for years and he said no I want to remember what this feels like Mm. and that was me I wanted to remember what that state was that ecstasy of making people laugh and I walked five miles whatever it was 11 o'clock at night and I just floated at home it felt great.
0: That's really interesting that you said that. That you 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 wanted to celebrate but not but not forget. Um, yes. and that's that's fascinating. So is that for for you a standout moment for you in terms of happiness? Uh, yes, I you would use say. Use the it word ecstasy is. there. Yes, yeah. you know?
4: It is. It's it's, it's another plane of um, a buzz when you there are certain moments in comedy. I would say where that they are untouchable and then when you when you get into it and you've played I, I've done bigger gigs I've supported big acts I've done, done gigs at Wembley Arena but nothing matched that first time knowing all of those jokes that I'd written worked there was there was another time where I wrote a comedy play where it was called Glen Gary Jonathan Ross and it had lots of my comedy friends in it and uh, and it was part of the Manchester Comedy Festival and And it was a comedy play but there was a twist at the end and a switcheroo and it was meant to wrong foot the audience and i can remember again the audience gasped where i where i wanted to trick them and they went oh as what and and i just thought wow i made them do that and i wasn't even on i don't think my character was on the stage but i thought of an idea that made an audience go ooh and I think it is that creation of something. Every time you write a new joke, if that joke works, you remember that for the rest of the night. And that's the bit. And you come back stage and you say to the other comedians, oh, I've got a new bit. And they go, oh, is, it, is it that bit about the um, the comb and the boomerang? And you go, yeah, yeah. Um, they go, oh, that worked, didn't it? You go, yeah. And sometimes it never works as well again because there's something about that first time of doing a new joke. If it, if it chimes, you go, oh. I thought of something there that works.
0: A few of our interviewees previously have talked about um, retrospective happiness. So mm. they've maybe had to do something like like a, a performance, a musical performance or a sporting event, something like yeah. that. And they've been really kind of nervous and worried about it and not kind of realised until afterwards that that was a really happy moment for them. Is that something that you experience with, with performing as well? Um, I suppose it happens more with, because
4: um, I, I do art now, which is a new a new string to me bow. I used to draw a lot when I was young, but then didn't really draw for about 30 years. And, um, and that sometimes, again, you get a different sensation from drawing a picture, because sometimes you draw quite a few, and then one will work like you didn't know it was going to work, and one that you thought was going to be really good, it sort of drifts away, it's almost more like, um, you know, pop records, where you think, oh, there's my album, I, I, I quite like all of these, but I think that one's going to be the, the hit single, and that's going to be the follow up single. And then what you do with art is you, you release it and people go, no, we don't think that. <laughs> we, we like the one you didn't really like um, yeah. and we're not bothered at all about the one that you really liked. And that sometimes happens. So that there's more of a, a retrospective feel there with 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 pictures you draw. Definitely.
0: So tell me more about your art then. It's it's not a recent discovery then. Um, no, is, not is, is it something that you do for, for pleasure rather than sort of financial gain or anything like that?
4: Well, hopefully at, at some stage, I, I would like to take it further because I'm enjoying it so much. It's making me probably happier than, than anything else at the minute. I'm loving the radio. I don't think I've ever enjoyed the radio so much. I'm loving my me, me family, my me kids are at that perfect age where they're they're nine and eleven and they're just you know the before the, the teenagers. I'm just enjoying yeah. all of the the, <laughs> the the chat and the communication. They're just they're they're great company. And so everything's everything's really enjoyable. But I'd say the thing that gives me most pleasure and I can't wait to do and fills my brain with when i'm not doing it oh i can't wait to do that is is drawing pictures so it was again a very happy accident um how it how it all fell into place and for about three years now i've been been drawing i'm i'm over the moon with it it's really exciting and it's calm it's my it's my um yoga it's oh my you know relaxation meditation call it what you need but that's that's what it is for me
0: I've seen a few of your drawings and they look fabulous. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? What what inspires you? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
4: Well again, total happy accident, Alex. I was I was doing a conference that I'd hosted for about 3 or 4 years and I really like this conference. It's a it's new ideas and fresh ideas and I would be the comp bear. so I always tried to do something different to, to start the conference whether it would be a joke or some impressions or get a pal to do a trick or whatever it was and I thought, I know what, I've never drawn cartoons for these people, I do the odd doodle so I drew some cartoons, I, th- I can't even remember why but I drew I think Donald Trump and a couple of other things and I and I put give them to the AV guys and they put them on the slides, two people at that conference afterwards Emailed me. Uh, the first one emailed me and said, "I've got a gallery in Newcastle. Would you like to put some of your pictures in my gallery?" And I said, "Well, I've got none." He said, "Well, you better do some." He said, Get "I've got a space for you." <laughs> so I went round and I had a chat with him, and he said, "So what? What do you paint?" I said, "I, do, I don't paint at all." He said, um, "Well, i what would you paint if you were going to paint?" And I said, "Well." I I don't. know I don't do. I was looking around the gallery. I said, I I do cartoons, but you don't really have cartoons here. Um, He said, well, what's your background? And we had a chat and and my background, me dad, everyone in in my background were coal miners, all the men. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm quite proud of my heritage and what, what they all did. So he said, yeah, work on some of that kind of stuff. So... I got to work and I started to draw coal mines and I started to draw scenery from those villages. And, and that was, that's what kickstarted me. And, um, so that was one email I got from that conference. And another email I got was, would you draw a cartoon for me? So Mm -hmm. from a business. So I thought, Oh yeah, I'd love to. I love cartoons. I've never been a cartoonist. I've never done one for money. I've never been professional. So that would be amazing. So he said, well, I'll set up a meeting. And I thought, a meeting for a cartoon? So I turned up at a boardroom. Oh and these God. people <laughs> filed in. And I'm thinking, for a bloody cartoon? What's... Why are there all these people <laughs> What's here going on for a, for a cartoon? <laughs> so the, the guy who's who's asked me along is, is behind everyone else. And he's sort of giving me the old thumbs, thumbs up, it's going to be okay. And I'm a bit lost. And then the other fella whose boardroom it is and the other people are sat with him, he sat opposite me on the table, he said, So Alfie, you're gonna design the cover of our magazine. And I thought, Well I didn't agree to that, and I never would have. <laughs> I'd have said I would have said no, that I'm out my depth. I can't do magazine I've never done that. But because I'm sat in a boardroom and there's a meeting being arranged, I went, Yeah. Going, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I said yes. So he then He then shows me the magazine. Now, I I don't know how far the podcast goes, but most cities have a magazine for for the business district that goes out to all the shops and all the barbers and all the hairdressers and it's free magazine. And in Newcastle, this is called the NE1 magazine. That's the postcode. And it goes out around Christmas, it goes out every month, but the Christmas edition, 48,000 copies. And he said, you're gonna do the front cover. He said, well, now normally we have a picture of a Christmas bauble in front of Fenwick, the big shop. He said, but because that just says one thing about one shop, we thought if you could draw cartoons, you could do anything we want. So in this cover you could incorporate all of these shop names. I'm writing them down. I did I hadn't heard of half of them. He's going Tommy Hill figure he's saying all these these brand names i've never heard of i'm writing them down he said we want it to feel cosmopolitan we want it to look like london but feel like newcastle it's got to be definitely winter but not cold and wet and miserable it's got to have nighttime shopping it's got to have the metro the theater it's got to have and you can get all these things in a cartoon can't you And i'm nodding my head going yeah yeah writing all these things down oh alfie (laughs) oh it gets better alex he says, he says, now the snag is, we need it for next week. And I, in my brain, I'm going, well, I'm, I'm not free next week. I'm only free the next two days. So I said, I'll have it done in two days. And, and the guy who's asked me originally to do it, he sat behind them and he's shaking his head at me, going, no, like that, no. And and I and the guys in the front go, going, are you sure you can do it in two days? I went, absolutely, but I better go now. And they all laughed, no, I'm being serious. <laughs> I've got to start now. I've only got two days. So I, I ran, jumped on my push bike, cycled to Gateshead, burst into the house. I said to my wife, I've, I'm, I'm drawing a cartoon from a magazine. She go, what? I, I can't speak to anyone for 48 hours. So I just drew this and I included all the ingredients and the people contact me. Go, are you sure you can do this in two days? You might kill yourself. I not really want to do it. Anyway, they, they said, don't be offended if they don't say yes to the finished product because they they're very fussy, and it's not unusual to be turned down. So don't take it badly. Uh, they were saying when they turn you down. Anyway, I did it, and they used it. So I did it in black and white. Did it in ink. And they they added the color and um, and that was it. It was and that was my first drawn engagement, my first cartoon assignment. So, within after drawing a couple of cartoons at a conference, I'd suddenly become a, a semi-professional artist. Literally, bit of in, a baptism in, of fire, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. I was so I was literally getting up an hour before I would normally get up to draw because drawing is so time-consuming, yeah. I had no the time to do it. So I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning instead of four o'clock in the morning and doing an hour before I went to work. And then I would do another hour on the way back home. I'd pop into the library and do another hour there. And that's the... <laughs> but now the kids are a bit older. It's a bit easier and they're, they're yeah. not as into dad as they used to be. So... Yeah, I've got a bit more time to well,
0: draw. What, what an adventure, <laughs> <laughs> and a brilliant story. So you kind of mentioned just before before you sort of talked about the uh, your your escapades into cartoon drawing mm. um, that everything kind of for you at the minute feels good. Like you're you're feeling mm. you're feeling the radio's going well, your drawings going well. your your, your, your kids are at the sort of age that you can really kind of do loads of stuff with them. How's that happened? Why do you think that's happened? Yeah, tell me more about that and how how that makes you feel. I
4: I think, to be honest, I think I am a lucky person and I'm well aware of how lucky I am that I've always had a very positive, quite driven disposition. I've always been optimistic. I've always seen the glass to be half full I've always seen possibility rather than impossibility and I I do think to a certain extent I was born with that I I could bore you with I do think there's a myth or a mythology around talent and ability but I do think some of us are wired certain ways I look at my two kids and they couldn't be more different I look at me and my brother and sister we had the same upbringing we couldn't be more different so I think there is a, a certain amount of DNA and I do think we are wired a certain way, but I, I think you can, there are tips, tools, tactics to to be more positive or to stay more positive, whether that's hang around with positive people, do positive things, get involved in things that make you feel happy. And I, I think I've always had an awareness of a lot of those things. Again, luck, mm. but I think you've got to make it, you've got to use luck, you've got to see it as an opportunity and, and play with luck and don't don't abuse it really. Um, so I am fully aware that I'm very lucky and I I say I'm happy now I've, I've been happy a lot a lot through my life you know there, there have been lulls there have been you know times when the wheels came off where it wasn't right but so many experiences when I look back they're all they're, they're the happy things.
0: How did you manage your feelings and your emotions and your life then, when you were going through those lulls? Did you mm. draw on those um, sort of tips and tools that you you sort of thought about there?
4: Yes, I think so. I think I think most of my unhappy times came when. I was at a crossroads, or I was having to make a decision, or I was having trouble, you know, seeing the wood from the trees and trying to work out yeah, what I should yeah. be doing. So, for instance, when I left the the religious life, it's all I'd done for fifteen years. I never thought I would do anything else. And then I got about thirteen years in or fourteen years in, and i and I did comedy, and it blew me mind. But then I realised, wow. If I want to do this, I've got to leave everything I've ever known. I've got to change everything. I've got to make a big jump. I've got to go and tell people who believed in me, who thought I was being part of their order and part of their life. I had to go and tell my family who eventually had just come round to thinking that, Yes, he's gonna be a monk, yeah. and that's what he does. They they didn't they weren't into that at first. It took them a long time to get used to it. Then they became proud of it, and then I had to phone them up and say, I'm I'm leaving. And my mum said, What are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna be a comedian. She went, What? <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't laughing. Um, so yeah, that it's usually the the crossroad times where it 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 is awkward it is hard to know what to do next and and i do think that's that's one of the biggest curses of modern life i think when i did my degree at university it was a drama degree with a little module on stand-up but i immediately went that's what i want to do and and i've always being quite like that, whereas I was surrounded by lots of people who were going, I really don't know what to do now. I think you've just done a drama degree, do drama and they're going, Don't really know. Don't really know. and and life is full of people who who struggle like that. Lots of my close friends and family don't know what they want to do. And um I, I haven't got an answer for that. I I just think search because it's worth it. Because if you if you don't find it, you might wonder what it was all about. You might wonder I think it's it's a it's a harder struggle and I think even if you're happy doing something that doesn't pay very much but it's just makes you happy, it's everything happiness
0: I can totally relate to that Alfie because when I went to university mm. I went to Liverpool um, oh, yeah. and started off doing history um, and there was there was one module in Egyptian archaeology, and that's the one that I lived for every week yeah. and I thought. What am I doing? Doing history? And there's nothing wrong with doing history for all the historians yeah, yeah. out there, but for me, it was the Egyptian archaeology, and yeah, I was at that sort of crossroads. I wasn't happy mm. doing history. I wanted to do the archaeology, so I transferred to archaeology and specialised in Egyptology, and, and that was it for me. The turning point was actually, yeah, doing something that I was really interested in. I'm not doing anything to do with Egyptology now, but at the but time, but you enjoyed it, was it. You loved it. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah yeah so I can totally relate to that fab thank you now not wanting to put you on the spot or anything but uh, I saw a quote from somebody on on social right. about you that said this man has the secret to happiness so <laughs> <laughs> come on Alfie <laughs> I think, what's I the think secret it's... what do they mean by that
4: <laughs> uh, well eh, I don't um uh, but oh,
0: I, no. I think...
4: <laughs> I think it's a lot of the things I just mentioned it's it's avoid avoid the people who get you down avoid the cynics the sarcastic the the naysayers that that saying I don't know who said it but you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with so make sure mm. they are upbeat make sure they they they're interested in you as much as you're interested in them make sure they listen as much as you talk and it's it's about equal whereas if they're just parasites if they drag you down they're not the right people to be with even if it's just the people you're with in the office or the people you spend lunch time with are they the ones who are really downbeat or and and the same i would say even if you just the time you spend scrolling if 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 you're scrolling up and down facebook and you're just going i i do hear a lot of people saying god there's there's this nasty thing on facebook there's that nasty thing on facebook. and i say i don't see any of that and it's not i don't do an awful lot of scrolling but but also i think the algorithms pick up if you like reading rubbish it will direct you to rubbish it'll give you more rubbish yeah yes and if <laughs> but if you leave comments on stuff that make you happy it will lead you to more stuff like that and occasionally I'll see stuff I saw something the other day about um, toxic positivity and I know what it is but I just thought if you're looking for a weakness in positivity you're probably (laughs) I know what toxic positivity is uh, but I think people who are pointing stuff like that out all of the time on social media may need to think about what they're doing I, I, I think why not just I don't know accentuate the positive eliminate the negative and you i think you'll have a more rich fulfilled life i don't think it's it's overly scientific i don't think it's overly complicated i'm not saying it's easy but it's it's fairly straightforward that if you do the good things you'll have a better time
0: yeah i agree one of our first interviewees for for this latest season of the podcast uh, with jack lowe who i don't know if you've come across he's a uh, He's touring the country in a decommissioned ambulance that he's turned into a a, a dark room um, right. and he's photographing all of the all of the RNLI lifeboat stations and the crews um, and he has very strong opinions on yes the power of what social media and the negativity just very similar to what you've said that he you mm. know you it's a free platform so y- you know you can't you can't control it really yeah. because you you you're not investing in it financially so you can't control what it gives you in return i think yeah and exactly what you've said there if you look for negative stuff then that's what you're oh yeah i mean i
4: i've done occasionally i've done it but i i pretty much stand by this you'll never win an argument on the internet um it's like just shouting in the wind you'll never win and you, you get nowhere and I just think it's absolutely pointless, and you'll never persuade someone to think what you think. So these huge, divisive, things that we've got going on at the minute, with whether it's Brexit or COVID, just yelling about it on the internet, is you've got you know don't spend twenty minutes a night doing that. Go and work in a food bank for twenty minutes a night. You'll yeah. feel better. Yeah. You'll you'll come back yeah. rewarded. You'll have done more. You'll have, I, I think, uh, it, yeah, there's much better ways to use your time.
0: So talking about uh, good uses of your time, a part of your work involves supporting mm. local charities. I know when we had our pre-recording chat, you just mm. finished visiting a, a charity local to where I live, actually. Um, yes. You know, is that a big thing for you in terms of happiness, contentment levels? Is is supporting local charities and the local community.
4: Yeah, um, it it probably was something that you know as a kid I would do stuff like that. And again, admit it's not it's not uh, purely altruistic. It you feel great, you 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 help people or you do what you can, and you you know it's very rewarding. It makes you feel good, but it's it can the, I I think it is important to to get the balance right because w- when I started out doing charity work I was out far too much and, and because when you do a bit of radio or comedy or whatever people need your name or use your name and that I'm absolutely fine with that but you've got to balance that and I, had, someone gave me some good advice and said you know I've got a wall planner in front of me put a dot put a, put a red dot every time you're doing a free or a charity gig and put a green dot whenever you're doing something that you can justify to your family that you're out. And um and I looked and there were red dots everywhere and I was doing doing you know and and while it's nice to do things for free or for charity it, it can be utterly you know bad for your family or for you and you'd be exhausted. So you have got to get the balance right. So Palamine said, "Why don't you pick two charities that you commit to and that you really care about?" And sometimes i think some of the bigger charities are i think too big and you can't see where all the money goes and i think they waste a bit of money and they've got very expensive chief executives and so i picked a couple of really small charities where you can see where every penny goes and you go around you have a look around and you you know what they do and you know how much it means to them and you know what purpose they serve because unfortunately and I hear this a lot from when I'm on the radio, when when tragedy strikes, sometimes people just immediately just set up a charity because they don't know what to do. They want to give something back or they want to do something in someone's name and it can sometimes not be thought through and there might be another charity that's already doing that. So you could yeah. just help them instead. So there's a lot of knee-jerk charity and I think there's a lot of wasteful charity. So I do think it's important not just to do it just so you can say, "Hey, I helped that charity." I think it's important to do work for charities that you really care for, and you've researched, and you relate to, and you you connect with. You're not just turning up doing their Christmas ball and then nicking off. You've got to go and have a look round and, and meet the people. I think, so you're not just it's not tokenism.
0: I agree. I I run the Great North Run for a very small northeast charity. I wouldn't be running it for any other reason if it wasn't a charity. Is it? Who is it? Uh, I run for Tiny Lives, so uh, you know for, you know for a couple yeah. of a couple of friends of mine. So uh that's kind of what motivated me mm. to start start the Couch to 5K and start the you know start doing the Great North Run, but Yeah. exactly what you've just said there. I I, I wouldn't just run it for Another, cha- you know, any other yeah. charity or one of those big ones, which, you know, they often off- offer, you know, hu- you know mm. huge numbers of charity places. So, yeah, you ha- your heart has to be in it, doesn't it? I think it yes, has to I be that personal so, yeah. connection to whatever well, to whatever charity yeah. it is.
4: The Sick Children's yeah. Trust, uh, I, I absolutely love. And they're dotted about the country. And um, this this was another little dream come true again total happy accident there are two houses in the northeast of england scott house and crawford house and when a parent has a child in hospital it's a horrible time so these two houses put parents up or put the whole family up so they can stay near the hospital because the chaos already of the child being in hospital is horrendous so if you're in newcastle and you live in birmingham but you're you need to be in newcastle they put you up you and you know how much a room costs and you know how much um breakfast costs it's all funded by them it's a brilliant charity now crawford house i didn't know when i started doing work for the charity is named after michael crawford who is you know frank spencer phantom of the opera so um i uh, had a chat with him i had a half hour zoom with them just like this um (laughs) a, a couple of months ago because he wanted to talk about the charity now obviously you think I've got to ask him about Phantom of the Opera and, and Frank Spencer. Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> but you don't know whether they want to, and they've been good enough to come on and talk about the charity. So I dipped me to the word. He was so nice, so good, but he was so committed to the charity. He go, I mean, covert aside, he knows the names of the people there. He goes and visits it, whether he, he lives in Hollywood or somewhere, but he still comes over. He's, he's the president. Oh, wow. He has been the president since he was in Phantom of the Opera. And it's a very personal reason why he he wants to give to this charity and he's done it for 30, 40 years.
0: So, you know, amazing person. Fabulous. Is happiness something that you think much about then Alfie? or not is it something you actively work on or you know do you think oh i'm feeling happy today or or is it not something you really think about
4: i I do think you have to water it and flower it and and prune it and look after it. it i don't think it a lot of people something that's been said to me all all my life is it's all right for you it's all right for you you're happy it's all right for you you're upbeat it's all right for you 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 uh, do comedy. You do a job you like. It's all right for you, but all of those things take a lot of work. And you know, I don't just wake up going "way" every morning. Although most people listen oh, to the radio man. show, <laughs> 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 but I do sometimes have to motivate people around me, and mm-hmm. and I enjoy doing that. But it comes with effort, and it comes with an awareness, and you have to make sure you've you've got the right energy. You've got to make sure you have the right rest, and you've got to make sure you you spend the right quality time with the right people, your family especially, because it's no good being all happy at work or on the radio and then come back as miserable as sin, um, or or not be around at weekends for the for the kids and stuff like that. So, I, I think it's all a lot of it's about balance, and a lot, a lot of people say to me, "How do you get up in the morning?" God, you've forgotten all them years you've got up at three o'clock in the morning and the secret is I go to bed early. <laughs> it's not your alarm. Yeah, it's, it sounds strange, but some people don't and the people who don't really struggle. So what happens is you're the secret isn't getting up early because you have to get up early or the radio show doesn't start. So you you. Just alarm, have to adjust your body clock, yeah. your alarm, your alarm will wake you up no matter how tired you are. But if you go to bed on time, You'll, you'll have enough sleep and you'll be all right. But there are people who, who do this job and go to bed at 10 o'clock, and that, 12 o'clock, and you think you're gonna suffer and everybody around you is gonna suffer.
0: So when you were saying there before that people say, it's all right for you, you're mm. always happy, you're always upbeat. Do you yeah. feel that that's something that you need to live up to? Or do you not worry about it? Um, I, I think it's genuine. I think I
4: genuinely am a lot of the time and I do do, you know occasionally I will have moments I have got you know like everyone else money worries how how do I pay for that you you, you have exactly the same worries as everyone else but I think I think I, I am a naturally upbeat so I am lucky but also, I try and feed it. I try and nurture it. I try and do the right things to
0: be happy. Because I, there are have been times when I haven't been. I love the idea of watering it and feeding it. It doesn't mm. just come naturally. It has to be yeah. has to be looked after. I suppose. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah, and I, yeah. I, I try. I, it's it sounds really boring in some ways. I I don't drink. I don't smoke. I keep fit, which some people would say. Well, that's a miserable. That's not very happy. Some people, <laughs> that some people actually have said to the, um, you know, phoned me up on the radio, and go, you are such a boring person, or texting, go, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you know you're not, you're not a proper northeasterner and you know, all my family uh, when I was growing up used to drink and smoke and live these really sort of high octane lives, but they they're burnt out and they're. They had some pretty grisly deaths, or died young, and it was, it's a tough life if you if you live it to the extreme like that. Um, and so again, I think if you, if you look after yourself, you care for yourself. It, it even now, I've, I've never eaten. Very healthfully. That's one thing where I've I've been quite lax. But even that, I'm having to change a bit now as I get older. My body is telling me, "Oh, you you've got indigestion <laughs> a bit more than you used to." So I'm I'm having one to change One too many that, curries.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. So, we kind of ask all of our interviewees as we come to the end of the of the interview. What's and I think you've probably kind of answered the question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What are your kind of main tips or advice i suppose to somebody to help them maintain positive mental well-being i think um honesty
4: i think honesty and don't run away from problems face them get them sorted i would say or or meet them as early as you can and and deal with them as early as you can otherwise you could have them forever uh we've spent an awful lot of time during the pandemic, talking about mental health, and I'm glad I want to talk about it on the radio as much as possible because it's, it's so important. Yeah. But there was a phrase we were using, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, and especially with regards to kids, and that phrase is, it's okay to be not okay. However, I think just saying that over and over again is wrong. Because if you just keep saying that over and over again, you're giving people permission to stay in that state of being not okay. And I think mm. it's really important. I have spoke to lots of mental health professionals and I've spoke to people who work with young people and, and they, they agree. And it is about either early intervention or solution based treatment. You, you, can't, you would not just exist with a broken shin. And walk about for the rest of your life with a broken shin you would get it fixed because it's really sore and it's painful and it's just going to hamper Mm -hmm. your life if you have a broken shin so why would you think it's okay to be not okay with a broken head so Mm -hmm. if you can if you can try and get it fixed because there are solutions out there and the earlier you try the you you know I I did have a drink problem years ago and um, it didn't last too long it was after i left religious order my head went mad i didn't know what i was doing i didn't but i i went away a and i and i got it fixed and um it was the best thing i ever did if if you live with something and just uh, allow it to fester or you just think how can i coexist with this it's probably not going to do you any good I, I think it's worth taking it on and 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 battling whatever it is easy for me to say but it's I, I did have to do that at one point and, um, and and in that situation, as in many others, it's down to you and you can get counseling, you can get help, but it must be at the end of the day, you're the only one who can stop drinking. I heard Brian Cox, you know, from not not the planets one, the one-off succession and he was <laughs> he's a great actor, but he was saying his daughter had anorexia and he said you can get all of the help for her. You can supply the best people who supply the best treatment, but ultimately it had to be down to her. And I think with a lot of um, mental health, you can have lots of therapy and lots of... But at the end of the day, you are the one who'll, who'll seal the deal.
0: Well, thank you so much, Alfie. Before we finish completely, did you want to give a shout out to the two charities that you support?
4: Yes. Um, well, there's a three. So uh, find, Fighting All Cancers Together fact they do a great job and then there's the sick children's trust who are brilliant and also I've, I've got a little book out that some of the proceeds go to the sick children's trust and some of the proceeds go to chuff the children's heart unit at the freeman hospital it's an incredible place it saves babies lives um i know people whose, whose children's lives had saved it does what it says on the tin it's the children's heart unit foundation and the book's called dogs friends it's on amazon and that's that's i drew the pictures for that but it was the idea of a friend of mine called mike and it's a, a lovely children's book and uh, my children's books out soon the last call miner there you are there you are
0: That Was Alfie. What did people think?
3: He's a familiar voice, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And it was rather interesting to take that familiar voice and then hear the backstory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, the, the standout in Alfie's story is Happy Accidents, which he mentioned several times throughout his journey mm-hmm. and how he was on one path. Obviously, he was. He went from being a monk to comedy. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, it's great. And then there's that other moment where he had enjoyed art as a young individual. And then 30 years later, again, a happy accident occurred where then art has become a big part of his life. Again, not only from sort of a business perspective, but also... In terms of his own welfare and well being as well, and I really like that term, mm. happy accidents. Do you know? And I think it's it it's lovely to see somebody celebrate opportunities coming along, which completely change the direction that their life goes. Do you know? And that whole thing of taking the risk. Do you know? Can you imagine being on a a career path? obviously within religion and in church you know going from religion to show business you know <laughs> from, from church to the stage to you know like it, it's such a transition and mm-hmm. to be on that path and then just that one moment which obviously was was um at a wedding where he got that laugh and then he got that comment
0: what a great story oh, what I know. a great little story that was that was fabulous mm-hmm. yeah. yeah thank you michelle thanks What about you, Chris?
2: Yeah, I was thinking so much of it was like a, it was like a movie. It was like a screenplay for something. Um, He's obviously got these really, you know, he's thought about this an awful lot and he's got this kind of screenplay in his, in his head and he's able to kind of tell the story of kind of how he got from one thing to another, even though they're so kind of spread out and so different, um, which is great. And that that kind of got me thinking about, well, you know, if, if, could I, could I do that? Can I point to things in my life that, you know, that was the moment when things changed. Because that's it's, it comes up a lot when we talk to people in these in these podcasts. It's sort of mm. the moment where they realize something really really important, uh, or something happened to them which completely shifted. I think it's important you know, for people's happiness and people to kind of understand about who they are and where they come from and where they're where they're going is to kind of think about well, what are these moments, what are these really special moments for us? Because these these are the stories which make us. They make us people. Um, so it was lovely to hear his. Really lovely to hear his.
0: I was really interested in how he he used the word ecstasy, didn't he, when he sort of described that first moment on stage Mm. um, and how he didn't want to go out and get drunk and celebrate because he wanted to remember that moment um, and and celebrate it in a different way. And I thought that was a really interesting way of of looking at at things. Rather than going out and going, you know, getting mad drunk and celebrating that he wanted to know, I want to go home and remember this moment. Yeah. So I thought that was great.
2: And a a good shout out for early bedtimes. I'm a real proponent of getting to bed at a a reasonable hour. (laughs)
3: Regardless if you have to get up at three o'clock. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's nuts.
0: Oh, I could not do that. No way.
1: (laughs) Not this time of year.
0: No,
3: no.
1: (laughs) Andrew, what about you? There was something that Alfie said that really... Stuck with me actually since I've heard it. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and I, you know, people in the main have spent most time with their family, perhaps by themselves, um, and it just made me quite mindful actually of just the responsibility you have to others. You know that yeah. that actually, you know, like life is still in well, it's always in transition, but it's still in flux at the moment. But actually. Sort of projecting, a bit of generosity and good wills is important. Mm. Sounds quite serious. Sorry, I didn't mean it. No, sounds good. good. But it just, it just, yeah, it just, it just stuck. It just stuck with me, um, and I just thought about, you know, the five or ten people I'm spending the most time with at the moment, and um, just reflecting on that a little. A wise man, mm. and you know, very reflective himself. I think, mm. um, to articulate you know, these experiences in the way that he did. So
0: That phrase really stuck in my head as well. When he, when he said it, I kind of almost not stopped listening to what he was saying, but I, I think, yeah, I was kind of just processing what he'd just said because yeah. I thought it was just a, a fascinating thing to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, really interesting. Thanks, Andrea. Well, thank you, Alfie, and thank you, everybody, for your comments. That was great. If you've been inspired by this podcast episode, then we'd love to hear from you. We love hearing your stories and opinions on what happiness means to you. You can get in touch via email, hello at thenorthernguidestohappiness.co.uk or you can find us on Twitter at North Happiness and Instagram and Facebook at Northern Happiness. We're really glad to be spreading joy and happiness around the northeast through this podcast, thanks to funding from the National Lottery Community Fund and the Newcastle Covid Fund. So thank you so much to our funders for their support. So we've reached the end of another episode. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Northern Guide to Happiness. Take care and see you all again next week for another episode. (laughs)